Hello and welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Tuesday, September 19th, and we start with local news. On September 16th, the Columbia Police Department responded to a shooting incident involving a large group which had gathered in the 800 block of Woodland Street. Officers were on scene as gunfire began to be exchanged between individuals on both sides of the street. Officers detained 20-year-old Taquantarius Dion Johnson, who they witnessed firing a handgun into the crowd. Several vehicles and structures nearby were struck by gunfire, but there have been no reports of any person being shot during this incident. One individual sustained a non-life-threatening injury when he was struck by a vehicle as it fled the scene. All other persons involved fled the scene and have not yet been identified. Taquantarius Dion Johnson was charged with attempted first-degree murder and employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony and is being held at the Murray County Sheriff's Department. This investigation is ongoing, and additional arrests may be forthcoming. Any person with additional information that may assist in this investigation is encouraged to contact the Criminal Investigations Division of the Columbia Police Department at 931-560-1670 or Murray County Crime Stoppers at 931-381-4900 or Columbia Police Safe Tip email to safetips at columbiatn.com. A third-generation union worker, Talisa Sangster, has called the General Motors plant in Spring Hill her home for 15 years. She takes pride in its legacy, a tradition that is now at stake. Sangster is one of more than 3,000 United Auto Workers members at the plant working under an expired contract. They continue to work while anticipating phone calls and texts that could add them to a strike that has garnered national attention. On Friday morning, about 13,000 of the union's 150,000 members were involved in what the movement is calling the stand-up strike, a sequel to the 1937 sit-down strike, which was considered the first major labor dispute in the United States auto industry. Workers in Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri spent the day on the picket lines. Spring Hill could be among the next plants to strike if a deal isn't reached with automakers GM, Ford, and Stellantis. At the forefront of the dispute are core issues such as pay and cost of living increases. We do our best to build world-class vehicles, engines, and components, Sangster said. Based on our J.D. Power scores, it has been accomplished on multiple occasions. I support my union's leadership decisions, and I pray GM does what's right, she said. The strike occurs after one month of negotiations failed late Thursday night with GM, Ford, and Stellantis workers who responded by walking out of assembly plants in Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri. Vanderbilt finance professor Josh White said UAW is showing strength to leverage wins from recent collective bargaining contracts for UPS and airline pilots. In those deals, unionized workers received significant raises. I anticipate the negotiations will unfold prominently in the public eye, which is a tactic unions employ to put pressure on executives, White said. I fear that pushing for a steep raise could backfire, prompting companies to relocate production to areas with lower costs or to ramp up automation, both strategies potentially leading to diminished workforce at unionized plants over the long run, he said. 
GM CEO Mary Barra said Friday in an interview on CBS Mornings, the union's demands are unreasonable and would cost more than $100 billion. The company's offer includes a record overall wage increase and strong health benefits, Barra said. We've been at the table since July 18th, Barra added. We received over 1,000 demands. We have a historic offer on the table, and we're at the table right now, ready to keep going, she said. In turn, UAW spokesperson Brian Constantino said workers nationwide are ready for action in lieu of more concessions. Until all, until that call comes, Constantino said, Spring Hill workers continue producing around 700 vehicles per day with an expired contract. But, he emphasized, everything is in place for a strike, and the more than 3,000 workers in Spring Hill are fired up and fed up. Contract negotiations have stalled as demands for cost-of-living increases continue. The average new hire starts at $16.67 an hour, Constantino said. They would have to work for three years straight to make what our GM CEO makes in a single day, he said. Said Sangster, the wage disparities and retirement benefits between us and our CEO is embarrassing. UAW strike pay is about $500 per week and is available about a week after action initiates. President Joe Biden weighed in on the dispute Friday, citing record profits for auto companies in recent years. Those record profits have not been shared fairly, in my view, with those workers, Biden said. Strong unions are critical for a growing economy. That's especially true as we transition to a clean energy future, which we're in the process of doing, he said. Negotiations have been a belabored process since union demands were submitted in July and August. Counterproposals have been overwhelming, Constantino said. On September 7th, the Guild responded to GM's contract offer. After refusing to bargain in good faith for the past six weeks, only after having federal labor board changes ch- charges rather filed against them, GM has come to the table with an insulting proposal that doesn't come close to an equitable agreement for America's auto workers, UAW President Sean Fain said. Constantino believes the big three automakers want a strike. The big three delayed everything till the last minute, he said. They have not met our demands as they continue to give insulting proposals. But while pilots and UPS workers recently prevailed after contentious contract disputes, White said automakers may have a harder time getting demands met because of the high cost of transitioning to electric vehicle technology. Cheaper, non-unionized labor in southern states and Mexico has increasingly drawn automakers away from the Midwest as they cut costs to accelerate EV technologies. In the case of UAW, the high demand for new vehicles comes with the caveat of already elevated labor costs for heavily unionized companies such as Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler, White said. While these firms operate with high labor expenses, competitors have capitalized on cheaper, non-unionized labor. Shareholders will be looking for cost-cutting in other areas of the business to offset these investments, which is the opposite of what the unions seek. Constantino said the transition to electric is seeing both job creation and job loss due to new technologies, but that the union will prevail. The UAW isn't going anywhere, Constantino said. In fact, it's growing with the installation of a new Ford motor plant near Memphis. Unions are needed now more than ever for the working class, and we will be leaders on that front, he said. Yesterday, the University of Tennessee's Center for Profitable Agriculture celebrated their 25th anniversary at Farm Bureau headquarters. 
WKOM WKRM's Del Kennedy attended the event and learned more about what the center does for Tennessee agriculture. This is Del Kennedy, Front Porch Radio. This afternoon, I'm at the state headquarters for the Tennessee Farm Bureau. A celebration is going on here this afternoon. It is a celebration of 25 years, the 25th anniversary of the University of Tennessee's Center for Profitable Agriculture. I'm talking with Rob Holland, who directs that Center for Profitable Agriculture. Uh, Rob, good afternoon. Tell me about the Center for Profitable Agriculture. Great. Yeah, thanks for being here, Del. We appreciate it very much. Our center uh, was started 25 years ago. We were headquartered on the University of Tennessee campus in Knoxville. Uh, we were there for about five years and then developed a formal partnership with the Tennessee Farm Bureau Federation. And with that partnership, our headquarters was moved to Middle Tennessee. During that period of time, over 25 years, we have uh, uh, been involved in some sort of educational program or working directly with a farm family in every county across the state of Tennessee. And being headquartered here in Columbia has made us uh, certainly more accessible to all corners of the state and uh, given us a great opportunity to work closely with farm families who are considering and evaluating value-added enterprises on their farm. Wow, and also with us this afternoon is Eric Mabry, president of Tennessee Farm Bureau, partner to the Tennessee uh, Center for Profitable Agriculture. Uh, Mr. Mabry, tell us what that partnership's been like, what it's meant for the farmers of Tennessee. Great, Bill. Good to see you here. Thank you for coming today. You know, what the work that those guys do over there at the Center for Profitable Ag fits perfectly within our mission statement here at the Farm Bureau uh, to, to enhance agriculture in any way we can. And they help make it just, as the name implies, profitable. Because if you don't have a profitable farming operation, then you don't have a farming operation. So anything they do to help our folks out there in the countryside to remain profitable, to put food on folks' table, uh, that, that's just paramount to what we do here at the Farm Bureau to advocate for that on every turn. And we couldn't be happy with this partnership for the last 20 years and for many more, many years to come. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, Rob Harlan, director of the Center for Profitable Agriculture, uh, sort of give us an example of what you've done working with Farm Bureau and the farmers of Tennessee. What kind of projects do, does the Center for Profitable Agriculture do? Uh, we've worked on a great variety of projects over the years. Many of the projects we've worked on have been related to food. Uh, one of the examples that we'll be showcasing here this afternoon has to do with a popcorn operation in lo located in Lower Middle Tennessee. Uh, many years ago, we were involved with helping them expand their market uh, and, and even uh, involved with evaluating some different packaging techniques for that project. For value-added enterprises across the state, we look at a number of different examples. A farm family might consider processing something from their farm, packaging something from their farm, or directly marketing a product from their farm to the public. Over the last 25 years, we've seen a tremendous uh, uh, increase in the number of farmers markets all across the state. That's an example of a way that farmers are adding value to the uh, produce and products from their farm, selling direct to the public. We've worked on a number of jams and jelly projects. One non-food project that we're real proud of that we worked on for many years, that had to do with packaging uh, uh, farm waste products into a soil conditioner. Had a farm family that, was, uh, that packaged that product, marketed it across the state. Certainly a, a, a different slant on adding value to a farm commodity. Wow, this is all fascinating. And, and now you, are, you said you relocated to Middle Tennessee. You used to be up at the uh, extension, uh, the, the 
you used to be up at the experiment station close to Spring Hill, but now you're at the Ridley 4-H Center, correct? You're exactly right. When we moved uh, to uh, Middle Tennessee 20 years ago, we were really uh, pleased to be located up at Spring Hill at the uh, Middle Tennessee Research and Education Center. But as our staff grew and as the programs and services of our center have grown over the years, we ran out of space, uh, which was a good problem to have uh, recently with some renovations and some addition of office space at the Ridley 4-H Center across town. Uh, that's where our new home office is located. Wow, that's fascinating. And, and the Chamber of Commerce uh, aspect of me has to ask, uh, how many people do you employ here at the Center for Profitable Agriculture? Well, I'll start with 25 years ago when our center first started with two employees. So we, uh, the, the uh, folks that were involved in starting the center said, let's just get started, let's hire two positions, and let's see what happens. 25 years later, we're up to 10 positions, uh, and we have a couple of those that are located outside of our home office here. But statewide, we have 10 positions that do the work of our center with farm families across the state. Absolutely amazing stuff. This is quite a celebration. Again, Del Kennedy, Front Porch Radio. I'm with Rob Holland, who directs the University of Tennessee's Center for Profitable Agriculture. Rob, congratulations on 25 years. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you being here and helping spread the message and the word about our center. And also with Eric Mabry, president of Tennessee Farm Bureau. And again, congratulations on your long partnership with the Center for Profitable Agriculture. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate you coming and always good to see you. And remember, if you eat, you're involved in agriculture. There we go. Thank you, folks. For the past 34 years, Center of Hope has served as a beacon for safety and support for victims of sexual and domestic violence, and now celebrates its brand new SAFE Clinic. The SAFE Clinic, which stands for Sexual Assault Forensic Exam, will focus primarily on rape victims, providing access to kits and other medical needs. Center of Hope director Cindy Sims said this new clinic will not only help expand the services the nonprofit currently provides— but is another resource for victims to go to for support, care, and above all, a means to a better future. This is a free rape clinic and something that's been a long time coming, Sims said. One in six females and one in 13 males experience rape in their lifetime, and so a place like this is absolutely necessary, she said. Center of Hope, along with the Murray County Chamber of Commerce and other community leaders, celebrated the new clinic's opening Thursday with a ceremonial ribbon-cutting. The ceremony also included comments from city officials like Mayor Chaz Mulder, Vice Mayor Randy McBroom, as well as Columbia Police Chief Jeremy Alsup and other first responder representatives. Center of Hope has been such an important part of our community for a number of years now, and what I love is that they are continuing to look for ways to improve their services and expand what they have to offer, Mayor Mulder said. This safe clinic is a great example of that, providing a space for women and men who have been sexually abused. It's a resource we would not have in this community without the Center of Hope's efforts, he said. Patients who visit the safe clinic will be treated by a specially trained nurse. The exams, as well as Center of Hope's other services, are also provided free of charge. The word that sticks out to me when it comes to a place like this is compassion, and we can certainly use more of that today. Compassion for people, McBroom said. This is a great partnership. Anyone wishing to use the clinic or for more information may call Center of Hope's 24-hour hotline at 855-465-4652 or visit www.centerofhopetn.org. 
Columbia Academy hosted an elementary school one-mile cross-country foot race for area private schools yesterday. WKOM WKRM's Doug Kennedy stopped by to watch the competition and speak to some of the participants at the event. This is Del Kennedy, Front Porch Radio. This afternoon I'm at Columbia Academy. There are hundreds, maybe even more than a thousand kids here. They're all participating in foot races. I'm seeing parents, grandparents, children who are just screamingly happy and having a wonderful time. I'm speaking with Amanda McCain, who is one of the organizers of the event. Amanda, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Good, Good to have it. Such a beautiful day today. Wow, isn't it ever? Now, tell me what's going on here. What age, children, what kind of races, and what schools are participating? Okay, so this is going to be kindergarten through fifth grade. So kindergarten and first graders race together. We have them separated from from boys and girls. And uh, this is just, it's kind of a smaller meet. We've got uh, some other schools that uh, joined up with us. We've got Zion here. We've got Agathos. We've got Middle Tennessee Homeschoolers. And we've got Christ Academy here with us today. Wow, that's amazing. And I've just never seen children so happy. You have got an arm full of medals. Are these for the winners? Yes, sir. Every uh, The top ten of every age group get a medal. That is amazing. Again, Del Kennedy, Front Porch Radio. I'm at Columbia Academy this afternoon. It's a beautiful afternoon. Uh, elementary kids uh, from across the county, southern middle Tennessee, are participating in foot races. Are they all on this uh, one-mile course, Amanda? Yes, sir. This is a one-mile course they're on. Yeah. It is amazing. Okay, again, I'm talking with Amanda McCain, one of the organizers of the event. And, Amanda, you just congratulations on this is obviously a huge success. Yes, thank you so much. I'm happy to do it. All right. Thank you. All right, I'm speaking to the winner of the K through first grade boys race, Wiley Graves. Wiley, congratulations. Thank you. How was it, Wiley? How did you manage to stay out ahead? Was it hard or easy? Hard. Was it fun? Yes. What are you going to do with your medal? Mm, hang it up. All right. Wiley Graves, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And now, your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mr. Jerry Lee Bell, 77, a former resident of Columbia and former inspector for Union Carbide, died Friday at Savannah Healthcare and Rehab Center in Savannah, Tennessee. Funeral services will be conducted on Thursday at 2 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Wednesday from 4 to 8 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mrs. Bobby Claire Johnson Jones, 88, a retired LPN from Murray Regional Medical Center and a resident of Columbia, died Saturday, September 16th at NHC Columbia. No services are scheduled at this time. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors are assisting the family with arrangements, and condolences may be extended online at www.oaksandnichols.com. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. As years go by, people may tend to forget just what a funeral is really all about. At Oaks and Nichols, we believe it's first and always a special remembrance of someone you love. We start by listening to your needs and desires. If you're unsure, we can help gently, professionally. At Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, we haven't lost sight of why we're here, to serve Murray County families in the ways they prefer. 
and why your satisfaction is so important to Jeff Hargrove and Susie Sowell. There's a great deal of satisfaction in serving a family and serving them well. It's an eye for detail and thoughtfulness and taking the time to see that things are done right. We do have nice facilities and good people and we work hard to do things well, but we don't want that to intimidate people as to what they think it will cost. Taking care of you is our primary concern. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern Middle Tennessee weather, we will have a mix of sun and clouds today with a high of 81 degrees. Winds will be light and variable. Tonight, we can expect mostly clear skies and a low of around 54. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Family first. (laughs) My dad used to tell us that all the time. But family first wasn't just something he'd say to us. It was how he lived every day of his life. And it's how I try to live mine, too. At Shelter Insurance, our agents are dedicated to helping provide personalized auto, home, and life protection that puts your family first. For auto, home, life, or business insurance, see Shelter Agent Tommy Hyde Jr. at 388-2009. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole barn. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high-quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwenGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwenGroup, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwen Group, land is your legacy. And now the best man. Uh, I was going to plan this speech out while I got my oil change, but I went to take five and it was a lot faster than I thought. So here it goes. Okay. Tim, you were my first friend. Angela, you were my first. (laughs) Yeah, I never thought the two of you would make it, but I guess love really is blind. No, no, no. I mean in a good way. At Take 5, your oil change is faster than you think. Take 5, the stay in your car 10-minute oil change. This is Bob Kessling with Pat Ryan. 
It's a beautiful day for digging. The backhoe operator has the engine running and is moving into position. He's heading for the ground. He's in there. Wait, there's a flag on the play. Let's get out of the field for the call from our official. Illegal procedure on the digging team. Oh, that penalty could cause a costly accident. That's right, Bob. He needs to call before he digs. There's underground utility lines that could be hiding just below the surface. Water, sewer, electrical, communication lines, and even natural gas. Avoid a penalty by first calling 811 to have any underground public utility lines located and marked with flags or paint. It's free, it's easy, and it's the law. For more tips, visit pipesafety.org. This message brought to you by the Tennessee Association of Broadcasters and the Tennessee Gas Association. Funded in part by a grant from the Underground Utility Damage Enforcement Board. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on Kennedy Broadcasting, WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7, your hometown source for news and information. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. Visitors to Williamson County spent a record amount of nearly $1.2 billion in 2022, according to a release from Visit Franklin. Tourists spent more than 14% more than they did in 2021, according to data compiled by the U.S. Travel Association and Tourism Economics and released by the Tennessee Department of Tourist Development. The billion-dollar number also tops spending from pre-pandemic economic data benchmarks. Williamson County ranks number six out of the 95 counties in Tennessee for visitor spending, and only those top six counties surpassed $1 billion in direct spending. The county also set a new record with 1.9 million visitors in 2022, according to data by D.K. Shiflett, meaning visitors spent on an average of $3.28 million per day in Williamson County. That spending generated $80.5 million in state and $49.3 million in local tax revenues. 